Our scripture passage this morning comes from Luke 14. Luke's the third book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, found on page 1622. Luke 14, verse 15 to 24. The parable of the great banquet. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I, cannot, I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. The word of the Lord. So if you have your Bibles open, I encourage you just to, to keep them open in front of you as I'll be referring back to the text as well as to the, uh, the first part of chapter 14. Uh, if you've closed it already, if you don't have a Bible with you, I'll try to go through those passages of Scripture a little bit slow so that uh, you can still follow along and understand what's going on. So I want you to imagine for a minute that you've been invited to a great blank banquet. It's a black tie affair. The setting is a, the fanciest restaurant high above downtown Vancouver. You're on the top of one of Vancouver's tallest buildings, and the restaurant has a 360 view of the, the surrounding area. As you look to the north, to the east, and to the south, you can see the, uh, the skyline and the mountains with the sun just touching on the tops of those yet. As you look to the west, the sun is setting over Vancouver Island. And the setting is, is something that you've never experienced before. It's almost beyond imagination. And the food that's been prepared for you is, is unlike anything you've ever eaten. The steak that, that they serve is cooked to perfection. There's a delicate mix of roasted potatoes and, and the perfect mix of vegetables on the other side of the plate. Now as I'm talking about this, my mouth is just watering thinking about all of this. And I haven't even mentioned the desserts that they bring out at the end of the meal. You have your choice of the finest cheesecakes, the best pies, an assortment of other goodies that are beyond imagination. As you imagine this feast, I want you to think about what would it take 
for you not to go to something like this. For the three individuals in our text, it seems it took very little. One had just purchased a field and he wanted to go see it. The second wanted to go out, go and try out his new team of oxen that he had bought. And the third, being newly married, wanted to spend time with his wife. With these first two, I'm left wondering, really, you're going to miss out on this kind of feast for that? Now, with this third one, we need to be a little bit more careful. I will always encourage husbands to spend time with with their wives when they can. But we need to see that even with this man, that he's already accepted the invitation to the feast. And that he should have been waiting to hear when this feast is ready. All three had said to their master that they would come. And now at the beginning of the feast, each one has decided that they have better things to do. Now as we dig into this parable, the the parable of the great banquet, it's important to understand the context. It's important to understand what's going on and why Jesus chose to tell this story. The setting in which Jesus tells this parable is in the house of a prominent Pharisee. And the day is the Sabbath day. It's likely that Jesus had been teaching in the synagogue as he often did. And after their time of teaching, after the time that they met in the synagogue, they would have gone to their homes for the Sabbath meal. For a prominent Pharisee in a community a way of elevating his own status, a way of looking good, would have been to invite the teacher into his own house so that the others could look and say, oh, well, he gets the teacher at his house. He must be important. And so this prominent Pharisee seems to invite Jesus to his house to enjoy the Sabbath meal as a way of drawing attention to himself, elevating his own status. We see that it's something he doesn't do for Jesus, but that he does for himself. Also, we begin to realize as you look through the beginning of Acts 14, or Luke 14, sorry, that (coughs) that Jesus wasn't the only guest that was invited. That there are others there, there are other Pharisees that seem to be close associates with this prominent Pharisee. And that they have a watchful eye. They're watching Jesus' every move. The scene is similar to one that you would read a few chapters earlier in Luke 11. Where another Pharisee in another community had invited Jesus after their time of worship in the synagogue into his house. And as he observes, he's offended because Jesus doesn't go through the, the ceremonial washing of hands before the Sabbath meal. Now this, this washing of hands is not something that actually cleaned your hands, but it was more a symbolic thing that said, I have been washed clean. And this Pharisee is offended that Jesus didn't do that. And so it seems that these other Pharisees that, that are with Jesus and the prominent Pharisee in this house are watching him. They're seeing, will he wash his hands again? Will he do this? Will he do that? What will he do to upset the laws, the rules that we have made? 
as you read through the beginning of Acts 14, you realize that, that there's also one other guest. Now, this guest is not, it's not one that we're sure whether or not he was invited by the Pharisees or he somehow snuck in hoping to get close enough to Jesus that Jesus can reach out and feel him. This man that has somehow entered this meal and he's an unexpected guest is, is a man who's not well. He retains fluids. He has a condition called dropsy. <coughs> and this condition that he has is one where his body just takes on fluid more and more and he has an insatiable thirst where he keeps drinking and he becomes bloated and he gets bigger and swelled up and more uncomfortable the more that he drinks. Now this condition is, is one that's generally a symptom of other greater issues that people have, that their bodies retain fluid because there is something already wrong with them. And many in that day would have understood this condition dropsy as being something that, that was a sign of God's judgment, a sign of, well, if you're made unwell, it's because you have done something and God is punishing you for your sin. And so the sick man is really un, an unexpected guest in the company of these Pharisees. And as they're joined together in this meal, Jesus looks at the, this man sitting at the one end of the table, and he looks at the Pharisees sitting near the other end, and he asks them, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? And the company there are silent. They refuse to answer. And so Jesus turns and he heals the man and he sends, them, sends him on his way. And he turns back to the Pharisees that are there. And he asks again, If one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they understand this tables are beginning to turn, that they were there to trap Jesus, and he is catching them in their own traps. And so they remain silent. They refuse to answer Jesus and his questioning. And Jesus looks again around the table. And he again notices that, that the the, the guests that were there were crowded around the head of the table, crowded around the host who was in the most prominent place at the head of the table. Near him, in the section that he is sitting, there are fewer guests. The one is the one who he had sent away, this man who, who needed healing, this man who was unclean, this man who people had thought was being judged by God. And now that that guest is gone, Jesus sits alone at one end while the Pharisees all gather together at the head. And so Jesus addresses these guests specifically. He warns them about claiming the seat close to the host. He tells them if someone more important comes, that they'll be demoted, they'll be moved closer to where he sits, and they'll have to sit at a lesser place at the table. He tells them it's better to claim a lesser place and to have the host bring you closer to the head of the table 
than it is to claim the best seat and to be demoted. And as Jesus says this, he, he says it in such a way that it almost demands a response from the people. And then he waits. The guests, they re- remain unresponsive. And so an awkward silence fills the room. Jesus allows a, a, a few moments of this awkward silence and then he turns to the host. And he says to the host that you have invited people that make you look good. These people that, that sit around you, sit close to you, they're here to elevate your status and to make you look more important. But how would it look if you invited people not in order to gain something for yourself, but in order to give something? What if you invited the poor, the sick, and the lonely to enjoy this meal with you? What if you invited people who had nothing to give in return and who would likely lower your status just by showing up? What if your entire dinner table was filled with people like this man with dropsy who had somehow snuck in the door without you knowing? This, Jesus says, is worthy of a true reward. Invite those of humbled status, and you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And like these guests, the host doesn't know what to say, and so he too remains silent. He does not respond. Finally, one of the guests can't handle the awkward silence. He feels the need to to fill the silence with his own voice. And so he stands up and he says, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. And it's to this statement, to this first response that Jesus gets, that, that he tells this parable that we read this morning, the parable of the great banquet. And this dinner guest, the one who stood up and said this, he seems to be doing two different things as he makes this statement. The first thing that he does is that he's trying to show Jesus that he has been paying attention. He knows that many of Jesus' teachings have been in regard to the kingdom of heaven. And he knows that Jesus has spoken much of a great heavenly feast. He also knows about these the teachings of the kingdom of heaven and the great heavenly feasts that he speaks of, that they come from the Old Testament, from Psalms, from Isaiah. Jesus refers to these texts as he points to the fulfillment of these passages when he speaks of this great banquet. And so this man wants to say, look, Jesus, I've paid attention to you, and I know what God's word says, and I am following, and I know But then there's the other thing that he's trying to do. It's not just drawing attention to himself, but he's trying to bring a little bit of peace. He's trying to alleviate the tension in the room. He's trying to speak to these awkward silences that that he and the others have been sitting in. And he's saying, well, hey, we're all in this together. 
Jesus has pointed to the host, and he points to the other guests, and, and to each of them, he says that you have used this Sabbath feast as a way of personal gain. So Jesus has made things very awkward for the others there. That each of them has desired uh, an elevated status in the community and using this meal to do it. And so as they're all getting uncomfortable and as this man is getting uncomfortable, he's saying, blessed is the one who will eat the feast in the kingdom of heaven. But as he says this, he's also saying, won't it be great when we are all there together? He's trying to say, hey, we're together. We're in this together. We don't have to argue. We don't have to fight. And Jesus responds with this parable. And, and as he does, it's as if he's saying, yes, it will be great. And yes, you have been invited. But that does not mean that you will be there. You may have been invited, but you still need to show up. People of God, we too have been invited. Whether we have been raised in, in this church or another church, or if we've come to faith later in life, when you first heard the gospel message, you too received this invitation. And many of you have accepted this invitation as you have heard it. And now, like a dinner guest in the house of the Pharisee, you too look forward to the day when you will sit at the feast of the righteous in the kingdom of heaven. We all look forward to this day. But as we read this parable, I wonder, is that all that we are being invited to? Is a life of faith simply one that ends with us going to be with our Lord and Savior when he returns? Or when he takes us home? Or is there something more to this? Do we, like the three guests in Jesus' parable, receive this invitation and then go about our regular lives until the day of that great feast? Do we assume that we have lots of time and that when that day comes that we will get ready and we will go? But for now, there's time to do the things that we want to do, time to, think, to do the things that we think we need to do. You know, as I think about this question, I can't help but think about a scene that's played out in many movies and that's sometimes played out in our own homes as well. The scene is, a, is of a husband and a wife preparing to go on a date or some formal gathering. Maybe as they prepare to go out to the, the dinner feast that we talked about at the beginning of this message. And as they get ready, the husband's sitting in front of the TV. And he's flipping channels. Or maybe he's, he's out in the shop and he's finishing a last project. As his wife spends hours in the bathroom getting her makeup and her hair just right. And then she moves to the bedroom. And she spends what seems to be more hours trying to pick out the perfect outfit. Just that right one that, that fits just right and that suits the occasion. And just as she pulls up the zipper on the back of her dress, the husband somehow gets up from the living room, gets to the bedroom, gets changed, and he's out in the car before his wife has her shoes on. Now, if this is the scene in your house, husbands, I want you to learn something from your wives. 
Because the banquet that we have been invited to requires a great deal more preparation than we might think. We have been invited, but we need to get ready to go. You see, when you're invited to a, to a banquet, to a feast in Jew, ancient Jewish culture, the invitation would come in two parts. The first was like a, the invitation you might receive in a mail that you need to respond to with an RSVP. It's to let you know of the date of the banquet and to confirm that you are coming. And the second invitation comes in the words of the servant who says, Come, for now everything, everything is now ready. And that was the time that you needed to get up and you needed to go and you needed to, to be at the feast because the food had been prepared. And the host was there and the guests would all be on their way. And in this parable, and in ancient Jewish culture, there'd be a period of time that would elapse between the two. And in that time, the guests would take the time to prepare. They'd make sure that they were ready for the day of the feast. They would make sure that, that all their business dealings were done, that they had nothing to do on the day of the banquet. And that the only thing that they would need to do on that day would be to show up. When it comes to the kingdom of heaven, these two invitations come as one. We are invited to the great heavenly feast, the one where we will sit with God's people around the table, and we will have perfect fellowship and communion with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But that feast starts now. The servant's invitation is one that's effective immediately. Come, for everything is now ready. In Reformed theology, we talk about the kingdom of God as being something that's already but not yet. The kingdom is already here in the hearts of God's people, and the kingdom will come to fulfillment when Christ returns and when he makes all things right. And the invitation is to come and to join in the feast now. And to usher in this kingdom of God, to allow God to use us to usher in the kingdom, beginning already today. Jesus teaches his disciples to pray. And as he does, he gives them these words, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And in these words, Jesus invites us to not only trust him to do his kingdom work in preparing for his return, but also to join with him. When we pray for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are asking him to equip us and to fill us with his spirit so that, we can, so that he can use us to prepare for his kingdom to come. Together we receive this invitation to come, for the feast is ready. So as we join together in worship on days like today, as we join together in prayer both in this place and in our own homes and wherever it is that we meet for prayer, in those moments we taste the first fruits of this heavenly banquet. The appetizers, if you will. 
And as we come, as we begin to, to partake in this banquet, we have the opportunity to invite others to join us and to continue to join in the preparing of the feast so that when Christ does return someday, that we will be ready. Brothers and sisters, come, for everything is now ready. When we come before our Lord and Savior in worship and in prayer, then we are already joining in this heavenly feast. Let us pray. Father God, we give thanks that you are with us, that you send your spirit, Lord, as a taste of the first fruits of this heavenly banquet. We give thanks, Lord, that when we come before you in prayer, when we sing to you, Lord, that we experience this heavenly banquet in small ways, that we, we taste the first fruits of your glory and your salvation. And Lord, this is an open invitation that you extend to all people. And so we pray that you may use us too to, to open the lines of communication, to invite others to kneel before your throne, Lord, and to partake in your heavenly feast. We look forward to that day when we will see you face to face, Lord. But we ask that you use us in this day and in this age so that others can come to know you as well. In your name we pray. Amen.